Hi, this is Talking in Bed, and I'm Jen. Um, hello. It's 4.20 in the morning. I am still not, I'm still, like, on vacation. (laughs) Not that, (laughs) who's been keeping track of my vacation days, exactly? Um... So I, uh, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, it was like, kind of, uh, I don't know, do I want to say the heyday of stand-up comedy? Like, obviously, stand-up comics have existed for a long time, and... There was just, like, a boom in the 80s, um, and it's grown from that time. Um, I don't know, like, the history of stand-up comedy or anything. Anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> um, but I watched a lot of stand-up comedy when I was a kid, uh, being from New York, I don't know if that made a difference, but so like the there was a really big comedy boom in New York City in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, obviously there were stand-up comics in the 70s too. It I would guess that um stand-up comedy kind of developed a little more in the 70s and then when the 80s came around they there were like comedy clubs being created in New York and probably LA but I associate like New York City with being I don't know maybe it's just because I'm from the area generally but so um My mom worked nights as a nurse in the ER, and my dad was in charge of us. And he did a fine job, um, but he kind of, like, he would let us stay up really late, my sister and I. And we would watch a lot of comedy with him. And um, (laughs) now that my dad is, he's not, like, a comedian himself necessarily I mean he definitely he's got a couple of funny lines but uh I wouldn't say that he's like a comic but um I don't know for some reason he just wanted to show us a lot of comedy so we watched stand-up comics and honestly I wouldn't like even understand half of the jokes that were being like, discussed or being told. I remember jokes about, like, hemorrhoids that I I fully did not get. I'm still a little foggy on what a hemorrhoid is, quite frankly. But um, I have these memories of my dad, like, laughing so much that he was crying and my sister laughing, and I was just kind of like, I'm laughing too, guys. 
I don't totally understand what's happening, but I'm laughing. And I watched Saturday Night Live my entire life. Uh, until, like, we would watch it until the... Ooh, we would watch it until the end occasionally. Uh, but we also went to church on Sundays. So, you know, a Saturday Night Live would end at 1 a.m. for us. That was pretty late for a kid to stay until... Often we would watch it until Weekend Update was over or until the first like musical act comes on. And then, you know, that was that was enough of that. And um and so I always loved stand up comedy and when I was in high school I um I liked watching Comic View on BET. BET's Black Entertainment Television. I guess it still exists. I'm I never hear about anything like from BET anymore, but BET was I, they had a stand-up comedy show called Comic View and it was um black comedians and I really liked that and um Comedy Central had you know, all of these comedians who are like, you know, a lot of them are legends now, but it was just like a big part of my life. And, um, and so it's always been kind of a, a thing for me. I just really like stand up comedy. And I've never done stand up comedy myself, I have only seen stand up live a handful of times and and really a lot of well let's see I saw at least a few really amateur you know like just stuff at college comedian but I'm talking students and um I went to one I went to um Dangerfield in New York once which is named after Rodney Dangerfield And I don't think that uh, any of the comics were known. And I went to UCB once, Upright Citizens Brigade. And I saw this, I saw an improv show at UCB. I was with my sister. And this, I had never seen, I don't know that I had ever seen improv before. And... People have a lot of opinions about improv, but um, this show, like, sticks with me. I remember it so well because I, I kind of couldn't believe that they were just making it up on the spot. Like, some of the jokes that they came up with were so clever that I felt... I just couldn't believe it. And even still, when I think of it, I think, wow, like that was, that was really good. And it's so like ballsy to do that. And, um, and funnily enough, I, at my little college in Massachusetts that I went to, uh, Bill Burr actually performed there and 
he was kind of known at the time because he had been on Chappelle's show as one of the, you know, like dorky white guys or whatever. And um, I really, I remember that show very well. And I had some CD of his that was autographed. God only knows where that is. Uh, and now Bill Burr, you know, so that was so long ago. <laughs> uh, so I was in college from 2004 to 2008. Um, and I mean, he's just, he's a, you know, huge name in comedy now. And it, I mean, he's... I want to say he's in his 50s. That he looks good for being in his 50s. He might be in his late 40s, but I kind of think he's in his. Is that right? God. He might be in his 50s, early 50s. And his wife is, I think she's about 10 years younger than him. That would be my guess. But I could be a little bit off on their ages um and uh and then when I lived in Berlin I went to one comedy show and I had just recently gotten I had been cheated on and dumped <laughs> so I I was kind of in that post uh breakup part of your life where you well, if you're not in, like, a tragic depression about it, uh, it, or, you know, if you've got the tragic depression, but you're also like, I'm going to rise from the ashes and, uh, you know, make some, do all those things that I have been dreaming of doing. At least that's how it is for me. Why do I always save the best part of myself for when I've been done? And I kind of, like, flirted with the idea of doing stand-up comedy at the time. And I never, you know, did anything more with it. I, I mean, I think I kind of tried to, like, write some kind of a bit. But, you know, the thing is... So, when I was with my ex... I mean, I've had a lot of exes, but I consider this particular ex where I got dumped on and uh, cheated on and dumped. Um, that's like ex in like a husbandy way to me because, okay, we were only together for like four, a little over four years. But for me, that was like a really serious relationship and he was not somebody who wanted to get married, which was a point of contention in our relationship. And um, so in my eyes, like, only after the fact did I think, you know, like I had, in my eyes, I had already started living my life with him. I thought I was going to spend my life with him. So I didn't know if we were going to get married. Our life together had already started for me. There wasn't like an end point to it. He obviously had different ideas. Uh, 
And so for me, it was, you know, when we broke up, it was like a little, it was a mini divorce. It was an unofficial divorce for me. And, um, God, why was I talking about that? You know, he and I had a very similar sense of humor and um, I could really, like, make him laugh a lot. And I felt like I was f- a funny person in that relationship. And I felt like I developed this this funny persona. And I just felt like I was quick-witted and I could kind of respond to a joke, really. Or, or you know, a, like a an unintentional setup for a joke. And um, I really liked that. Like, it made me feel alive. I liked getting laughter. And even in my family, I think of myself as kind of, like, the funnier one. I'm also, like, very moody, too. <laughs> but um, I do think of my, you know, like, I I like to make my mom laugh and my sister and I can really crack each other up and I really like making them laugh. If I can make them laugh, that's like, I feel like I've accomplished something in that moment. And, um, you know, I, I've been on this like journey of creative self-discovery over the past couple of years like, really the past four years, let's say, I've seriously dedicated myself to doing something creative, being creative, and I've hit a lot of non-productive time, you know, I've had a lot of time where I've avoided it, and, you know, that was while I was really pushing myself to write, And to try and write, like, really poignant stuff, like, deep stuff. And um, it it just never works. Like, it never... It's not like I couldn't get into, like, a groove. But it just... I don't know. There's something about writing that I... I just want to be a particular person when I write. But it's not the... It's not, like, really the person that I am. Like, I would write stuff, and it would be so fucking serious. And I was like, where is the funny person that I think I am? And, um, like, that, you know, and it's not that I don't have, like, a serious side to myself. I absolutely do. But I couldn't, like, connect my writing. I I knew that it wasn't really me because that funny part of me wasn't coming through even if it's only me even if I'm only making myself laugh you know like you might not listen you might listen to this and you might not laugh or think anything I say is funny but um I should at least be able to make myself laugh you know and that like it just doesn't come through. I wrote two poems 
uh, once. <laughs> I've written two poems that I think are funny and I really like them and I consider them the best poems that I've ever written, but they're a little bit like they have cursing in them and they're, they're just, ooh, they're just like a little bit odd. Not that odd is not good, but it was kind of like, it felt like an anomaly. Like I couldn't reproduce that thing, even though the two poems actually are sort of similar in that they use rhyming couplets and um, they're sort of critical of my writing or me, my perception of myself as a writer. So it's sort of the most honest and um, I you know like there are comedians out there now who really do interesting stuff so the two names that are like at the top of my at the tip of my tongue. Um, it sounds like, it sounds so se- sexual. <laughs> uh, are Bo Burnham and James A. Caster. Most, um, I think a lot of American comedian fans will know Bo Burnham. James A. Caster's British. He's, I don't think he's terribly well known unless you really like English comedy. And, um, maybe he's well-known in England, Britain. And, um, they're just very creative. And it's like, I, I know that they're like two, you know, straight white guys, you know, there's nothing kind of, uh, there's no variation, you know, it's the same kind of. Uh, just creative straight white men you know what are you gonna do I'm sorry (laughs) they're very funny and they're not just funny but they're like they have an interesting kind of it's It's not just this kind of bullshit observational stuff. Look, at the time when somebody like Jerry Seinfeld was doing observational humor, this was groundbreaking. Now it's so, it's so, it's been done so many times that it's hacky. Um... You know, I feel bad that I don't, like, pay attention to more diverse comedians. It's not that I don't. I mean, I do look at it, but... I think think that I do like a comedian. I think what I like about people like Bo Burnham and James A. Caster, and even somebody like Patton Oswalt... Um, is that 
there's at least something kind of interesting about what they're saying. It's not just like laughs a minute, which is great. I mean, it's nice to have comedy that like just makes you like bust a gut. But I think that there's at least something more interesting and dynamic about a comedian who reveal who pulls the curtain back and like reveals more about themselves it's probably better for their fucking mental health frankly you know um and i don't i think because um you know generally comedy is so dominated by by white men I don't mean that as I I don't think I'm married to a white man. Okay. (laughs) I don't think that they're the scum of the earth. But if you know, it's just, it's just that a lot of comedy is dominated by straight white men. Bo Burnham has a very funny song called straight white male. I think good song. Um, And, I mean, it's so fucking stupid. Obviously, there's plenty of famous black comedians who are hilarious. I feel like I'm digging myself into this, like, stupid hole that I'm not even trying to get into. I don't... (laughs) Forget it. Whatever. Um, you know, somebody... Okay. (laughs) A person who is not a straight white man who does also tick this box of sort of dynamic comedy is Hannah Gadsby, who did Nanette, which was really famous. And then she has a second special called Douglas. And um, I don't love Hannah Gadsby because she comes off as a little bit like... Uh, God, that was a long pause. I just get this kind of, like, superior vibe from her that I don't love. But I like the dynamism of what she presents. I like that she's very honest. Okay? That was a big issue for people with Nana is that she very honest in that. But she mixes it in with um, comedy. Sometimes really funny comedy. I like a lot of what she has to say. I think it's funny. And I actually like it when she does like a comedic art history lesson. I wish that she would just do a special of comedic art history. I would love that. Oh my god. I would fully be (laughs) on board with her if she would just do that. Um... And, you know, so it's always, so ever since the breakup and I kind of flirted with this idea of doing stand-up comedy. Now, look, I think in my head, from the safety of not being on stage, I feel like I could, if I really came up with a good, like, five minutes of material and I practiced the timing and delivery of it. 
in my head, it goes pretty well. I mean, every single person I think who's ever done an open mic has that feeling before they go on. And even if you were tanking that you would be able to like save it, you know. And I I know in the back of my head that it I would bomb and that bombing, you know, like all comedians tell you that like bombing is part of it. You have to bomb for a while um, and just die on stage over and over again until you kind of, I don't know, you get it right. It must be so nice the first time that you have a comedy show that doesn't make you feel like a piece of shit afterward. That must be such a nice feeling, you know? Um, and I even, I'm just having this memory of going to a comedy show, in, uh, a second comedy show in Berlin. I forgot that I went to that one. And just, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone to see, like, live amateur comedy, but it's, like, the comedian who is bombing on stage, it's, nobody feels good. It's such a bad feeling. Ugh. And you're just, like, trying to get, like, a laugh out somewhere to make them feel better. Oh, my God, it's bad. And, uh, you know, I I will be honest, that scares me off of ever wanting to do stand-up, like, in front of a live audience. But I think that the comedian podcasts that I've listened to... I mean, that's, this is great, right? I can say whatever I want. And if it's funny, it's funny. No. Oh, God. I'm getting so fucking tired right now. It's not like I put any effort into these, you know? And I don't think that other people do either. Just the three off the top of my head that I'm thinking of are ones that I've mentioned on here. So you have the Monday Morning Podcast with Bill Burr. You have Congratulations with Chris D'Elia. I mean, that... <laughs> if you don't know what happened with Chris D'Elia... Not good. I mean, congratulations is... On hiatus, I guess. I think he'll come back eventually. I think he will. But he's he's on hiatus for a little while. So those are two well-known names. One of them is not well-known for good reasons anymore. And um, the third who I have talked about is... Uh, he's like a... I guess he's a smaller Irish comedian named Tony Cantwell and he does a comedy show called uh like a comedy podcast called Tony Cantwell's Shit Show or Hit Show I think he changed the name. And uh so Crystal is 
is the only one that I think was sort of designed to really be like, like more stand-up, like more jokey. And although Chris D'Elia's podcast, the kind of humor that he had on the podcast was not, had nothing to do with his stage presence and the kind of humor that he did on stage. It was like two completely different types of humor. And it's such like a jarring difference. I don't know. Um, and I haven't listened to the Monday morning podcast with Bill Burr in a long time, but you know, I guess that's true of Bill Burr too. You know, on Monday morning podcast, he's, I mean, obviously when he's on stage, it's a show that he's worked on and, you know, he's not just kind of bullshitting and, um, So, uh, yeah, okay, I guess, I guess that's, that's normal, you know. Um, so those, but I think that everybody who is or was a fan of Chris D'Elia and who is a fan of Bill Burr, you listen to them and you know they're comedians and they've got like a really lust, illustrious career and, you know, you just think of them in a separate stratosphere. So, like, they're just kind of funny people when they're on. I'm sh- I obviously don't think that comedians are funny all the time, right? But you kind of just think of them as funny. And the fact that they're, like, celebrities, it gives them that special aura where the things that they say are more special than the things that I have to say. Um, and that's just part of, uh, (laughs) I want to say the world that we live in. That sounds like such a kind of cliche thing to say, but I do think that I I understand that there were probably celebrities through all of the ages, right, whatever, uh, stage actors, you know, I'm sure that they had some, you know, even in ancient Greece, I'm sure that stage actors got special attention and special perks for being, for, you know, entertaining people. You get special perks and attention for entertaining people. Um, Obviously now, you know, being a celebrity takes a regular person and puts them into a completely different um, kind of stratosphere that, you know, celebrities live on like a different kind of planet than we normies do, you know. Um... And that, obviously, we all know that that comes with some really significant drawbacks. (laughs) Being a celebrity is really not all that it's cracked up to be. It's, It's not how humans are kind of designed to live. And, and, 
so much so that we can't even think of them as human. We think of them as lizard people. <laughs> um, That's how much we can't even conceive of them being human. You know, like, for a long time, I always, especially when Brad and Angelina were together, I literally, like, couldn't imagine that these two had, like, a normal relationship. Like, you don't even think about celebrities kind of being in their home or like what do they even do in their home they don't do the same things that we do surely and um I don't it's just so difficult to imagine and obviously any kind of like home like a tv show being shot in their homes is like total bullshit right You know, so it's like celebrities, even if we don't know how much money they make or how they really live, it's just the fact that people know who they are, that that um, you could like what they do and think, oh, I'd like to do that too, but you know after you're like, when you're a teenager, you'll just copy people and think it's you're doing it too. <laughs> and then when you're older, you realize like, oh, oh, actually that that's, I'm just copying this. This isn't like an original thought. Um, but with this Irish comedian, I, I don't even know how I discovered his show. I'm not even sure. Um, you know, I don't know anything about him, really. I've never even listened to his stand-up. But he has a really good, he has a very kind of genuine way of talking. And he's, like, he's pretty funny. I don't think he's, like, the funniest person I've ever heard. But he seems like a fun guy. And, um, he has a very good kind of radio persona so very kind of upbeat he makes himself laugh which I think is the funniest part of the show is how often he makes himself laugh like really he'll like cackle and I think I heard that and I that really made me start to think like well I I could do that. You know, he doesn't have, like, a specific topic. He talks about whatever he wants to talk about. And um, he'll just go on these rants about stuff. And um, sometimes he's funny about it. Sometimes he's just kind of straightforward about it. Um, But it always has, like, a funny, I don't know, tone to it. And I don't mean because of his accent. <laughs> Um, although the accent is fantastic to listen to, I do really enjoy that. You know, like, I I think that with this podcast, I'm always kind of wondering, like, should I have, like, a focus you know, like, I reviewed the movie Babe, <laughs> which I think is so 
funny. I, I mean, the movie's like an hour and a half long, maybe a little shorter. I mean, it must have taken me so much longer to get through it because I was stopping every couple of minutes to uh, like share a thought. Um, <laughs> and at the beginning of pretty much each of the recordings that I made, I would say, okay, so, so, all right, so. <laughs> It's bad. It's really bad. I listened, I listened through all of the things, like fifty different, like one minute recordings, and like forty five of them start with so. Okay, so, all right, so. Um. And I don't, you know, it's. I feel like whatever, I just wanted to review a movie I was going to watch, and I thought, okay, I'll just kind of try this out. See, I, I'm kind of at this phase where I'm just, like, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, um, you know, like, with the Calvin and Hobbes podcast, I feel totally unmotivated to do it. I feel like maybe there's not as much depth to Calvin and Hobbes as I thought there was. I thought that I could kind of dig up some interesting stuff, but I have to say that in three episodes, I... It's not that I haven't uh, enjoyed diving deeper. I just don't know if it's a comic series that's meant to be pulled apart. There's nothing... It's it's meant to be sort of passively enjoyed. Um, although I do see a depth to it, it uh, I just don't know enough about comics. I think to draw like more from it. You know, maybe if I knew a lot more about comics, I could get further into that. Um, so I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. I was going to end this podcast when I started the Calvin and Hobbes one. Now I'm thinking we're going to end the Calvin and Hobbes one and just try and focus on this one. Oh, oh God almighty. Ugh, it's getting real late. Ooh, now it's almost five o'clock. I'm getting tired. But it it is nice actually. I've been up Wow, well, whatever. My god, I'm not gonna get into my <laughs> fucking sleep schedule. You know, it's like I wish that I was like had a way to kind of record whatever, like just Funny little things that I think during the day, or even if they're not funny, just like, just little thoughts that I have during the day and that I could remember it and, and talk about it. But you know, that stuff just passes. It's, if you don't record it, whatever, maybe some people have a good memory. I don't, if I don't record it in the moment in some way, writing it down or something, it's just gone. And and even if I do write stuff down, it's not the same as what I come up with in the moment. 
And I think that that kind of deters me also from like stand-up comedy because you really have to work that material and you have to test it out. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like a musician who has to sing this like painful breakup song over and over again and they have to deliver it with the same level of emotion every time that's always been something that's like amazing to me is how a performer can sing a sad song that they've probably sung that they're famous for and they like look sad when they sing it I don't know how you don't get sick of that, you know? I guess you do. You must. You must get sick of singing that. Although I suppose knowing if you are really famous for something, knowing how important it is to the audience and knowing the kind of whatever applause or something that you'll get from them, that can kind of motivate you in a different way, I would think. You know, that's like the relationship with the audience is that people who perform, not everybody, or, you know, I was going to say people who perform, like, they want an audience. They want to be seen and get that kind of approval. I think that's true of... Like, everybody wants approval. I feel that that's a pretty universal truth. And, um, you know, just some people who are drawn to performing, they really seek that directly in that, you know, making the audience happy is so important to them and getting and if you're singing like that sad song that everyone knows you know that it's like the performance that you have to do but how do you do it night after night I don't know right you know like a whatever like a big band they'll go on tour and they'll go to like one city every night and perform the same set in the same way. I mean, I don't know how you do that. And even with comedians, it's like, all right, so you work the material, you get it so that it's like really tight and, and, uh, you know, make sure the timing and the delivery is, spot on and then you just have to repeat those jokes over and over again like try and think about that you know like when you have like you said something funny to your friend and then you are talking to a completely different friend who has nothing to do with that and you get to like use that line again like you secretly know that you're you're reusing that line What if you had to do that every night for 45 minutes to an hour? 
if you just had to repeat jokes every single night. And sometimes I know that there are comedians who, if they're like working on their career, they'll do several sets in a night if they live in LA or New York or Boston or something. They'll go to different clubs the whole night and do sets. I mean, I guess then you might like switch it up. You might have different jokes that you're trying to work on. But I don't know. Does that sound like a life that you would be into? And it's not like I think that, you know, I tend to go like zero sum. Um where it's like, oh, I couldn't be a stand-up comedian because I can't even imagine having to perform the same set night after night. And it's like, well, my God, you know, try putting the fucking pen to paper and come up with a come up with one joke, you know, <laughs> like before you're writing off your comedy career, write one fucking joke. Just give it a try. Um You know, but this podcast is kind of my, it's my, like, attempt at at something like this. It's my attempt to see if I'm, to see if I'm funny and see if people like it. And I think I'm kind of funny. (laughs) Um... I don't think that I have anything, like, really interesting to say. Or rather, I don't think that my, uh, what, perspective on things is, like, super refreshing. You know, I, like, I will think that I'm, like, a genius, you know. And then I'll hear somebody else talk about something and I'm like, oh, okay, that's just kind of what people think. Okay, never mind. Um, so I'm constantly sort of being humbled, you know. But I like to think that I'm authentic. I like, I, I you know, it's something that I like about myself. I think that I'm I'm pretty, like, I'm authentic. That doesn't mean that I don't, I'm genuine, I think. That doesn't mean that I tell people everything I think. And it doesn't mean that I don't lie to people. I guess I try to be honest. But, you know, it's like, most of the time... It's like, what's the fucking point of me sharing my opinion on something? I don't, I don't, I mean, I say that and then I have like, like a thousand text messages of me being like, well, in my opinion, uh, and also because I've been in therapy for 10 years, I think that I'm, you know, the expert on mental health. Like, I think I know everything about how people tick and... I mean, me and everybody else continues to prove me wrong, <laughs> like, every turn. 
Um, <laughs> I, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, that I, like, you know, I just, I know that, like, plenty of people would listen to this and be like, you know, like, who the fuck, who, this person's not important. And, oh, God. Oh, and she yawns through a whole podcast. And what even is the name of this podcast? You know, it's just. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that in a self conscious way. Uh, I just. There's. There's a part of me that wants to try and be intentionally funny rather than just, like, dinner table funny, which I would call just being kind of quick-witted in context. And everybody knows people like that, like somebody who really, like, cracks them up. And it's just because they're telling a story in a funny way. And it's just that one friend who always can just make you laugh and you would think like oh that person should do stand-up and um you know being dinner table funny so being funny in context with people that you know is really different than being funny on stage with people who you don't know and frankly I think are probably pretty hostile in a certain way, I mean, when you get on stage, I think that a comedian goes on stage knowing that the audience is thinking, you better make me laugh, you dumb motherfucker. Because if you don't, I'm going to be angry with you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like that mood can shift on a dime, I think. This is just kind of stuff that I, you know, that's my perspective from stuff that I've observed at comedy shows, but also just listening to comedians talk about the experience of doing stand-up. And you only ever hear, it's not like I'm paying attention to the uh, experiences of comedians who are struggling you know they've been at it for three years and it's not taking off anywhere and who you know it's like you know how long it takes to make it in comedy takes a long time you really have to be unrelenting with it it I don't know how people make it I don't know I mean, I have various people like popping into my head. I mean, Amy Schumer, she was really young when she kind of took off. I liked Amy Schumer. I understand. I've seen the side by side videos or heard them of, you know, her having quote unquote parallel thinking. A lot of it is like, ooh, that feels like a borrow. Uh, I liked her. I thought she had funny. I thought she had funny stuff to say. I mean, she went a little gross at times for me. And I didn't, I don't, I don't like offensive humor. 
especially like racial offensive humor. I just, I do not get it. I don't, I, I don't get it. And, and while I appreciate like the perspective of like, it's like a hacky bit amongst black comedians to do like the white guy voice and how like all white guys are like really buttoned up people who do like, who do their taxes for fun, you know? I find that an interest. I think it's interesting that that's like a hacky bit in the black comedian community, comic community. But just overall, like racial humor is so. It's just not funny. It's not interesting. And I don't mean because it's offensive. Uh, well, let's say this. I don't find unfunny racial humor funny you know obviously we all know Dave Chappelle like he really hits the nail on the head when it comes to racial humor he's just I don't know he's great uh but like Amy Schumer has these like really stupid racial humor like in her early years it's like not I don't know just not funny and, um, anyway, uh, it's so late here, and I am, oh god, I am quite tired. I think I would just like to start being a little more weird on this podcast. I'm waiting for the part where I'm more, like, weird to come out. Like, I'd like to sing. <laughs> I'd like to sing just, like, made-up songs with not real language. You know, just made-up language. And, um, I don't know. Maybe that'll come out. I just... You know. I'm waiting for the weird part to come out. I have to... Maybe that's the part that I have to work on developing. And who knows if that would even be interesting to people. I don't know. You know? But I think that it would be interesting for me. And I'd like to see if I can bring that side of me out. Um, I'm so exhausted. I have to go to sleep. Thanks for listening. I hope that this was funny. Uh, love you and talk to you later. Bye.